Good morning, Dorisville. It is a pleasure to be with you today. God bless you for coming out. And I'm very grateful that you are here. This morning, we're going to be starting a new series called Lights, Camera, Acts. And we're going to be taking a look at Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4 during the next four or five or six weeks, looking at how God worked in the early church. It's so cool as you read the Gospels and you see Jesus making the promises about the church. And of course, on Pentecost in chapter 2, it all happens. The church is born. And then we get to walk in the steps of the guys of the early church and see how they learn to fly um, in their faith. Just incredible. Now, I'm also excited for another reason. I obviously knew that we were going to show the video. Judy called me downstairs to show me the video on Safe Families. I said, oh, that's a great video. Know what the program's about. Glad we're on board. But as I watched that video, I understood just exactly how it ties in with today's message. And then... When Amy sang the song this morning, I can tell you that I was sitting at my desk going, that would be a great song for today, not knowing she was going to sing it. And when those things come together like that, you just get kind of excited and can say, okay, God, what you got for us today? So why don't we bow our heads right now and do exactly that? Father, thank you that with you there are no accidents or circumstances or even coincidences. That you weave our lives together. In fact, I believe, and I'm sure I'm not by myself, that, that you have orchestrated this group of people today. Thank you for that. Father, you have a message from your word for individuals today. Father, for some, it's going to be the one guy that stood in front of the temple begging for alms. But for a whole bunch of other ones like us, we get the privilege of hearing about how we are Peter and John. And then some of the other ones are going to be the ones who witness what God does and, and get excited about that. So, Father, I'm asking that you will speak powerfully through your word today. You've orchestrated the, the, the precursor, the preview in such a way that, that I know, Father, that this is what you have for us. And I'm asking God to speak to our hearts in a great big way. And, Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. You may go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 3. And we'll be going through verse number 1 through 10 today. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now, we've been to Africa several times. And, and one of the things that, that we see in Africa are, are beggars. We see pictures of beggars all along. And Nancy, you go ahead and throw out the, the first picture there. Um, and this is probably the first picture. That's just about classic. Um, we'll be stuck in traffic, and they'll come up to the car and ask for alms and, and different things, money and things like that. Go ahead and Nancy, show the next one there. This is very, very common. Often you see children, and probably the hard part about Africa is that they, the, uh, the imams, the Islamic imams, will send kids out to beg uh, for money. Then they go back to the, to the mosque, and the imam takes all the money and uses it for the purposes uh, of Islam. So it's very difficult when, when to know to get when not to. There's another very classic picture of what you see on the streets in Africa. But this picture is in America. And we see this, don't we? We even see a little bit of this in Harrisburg. Next, show, next slide, please. We see these pictures of people that are down and out. People who need help. And it's not a new thing. It's a common thing. We see people with signs like that say, hungry, need help. God bless. So today I want to talk about beggars. I want to talk about, though, on a bigger scale, rather than just those with financial needs or other needs, but how God 
has helped all of us because spiritually we were all beggars. And what role we can play in meeting the needs of the beggars spiritually that we know in our world. This is probably one of the most famous scriptures, uh, certainly in the, in the book of Acts, New Testament. I'd like to read the chunks of scripture and then come back and talk through it and let God speak to our hearts. It starts out like this. In verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, Now Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. Now, there are several things here that are just very common. In that first verse, we see, first off, we see two names. We see Peter and John. And while both of these guys were certain leaders in the, in the core group of Jesus, Peter, James, and John were the core group, you don't normally see, especially in the book of Acts, you don't see Peter and John linked together. Both were leaders, but you really don't see them as a ministry team. But we see this happening today. We see this. And God, listen, the work of God draws people together. The one thing that Peter and John had in together, common, was Jesus Christ. They both had seen, they both had followed Jesus. They both had seen Jesus crucified. And they both had seen Jesus resurrected. They both had gone through the Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church experience. And the thing that held them together, Jesus, was stronger than anything that could tear them apart. Both of them, by the way, were very strong leaders. Very strong personalities. But we see them going to the temple to pray. Now this, this is, it's not unusual, but it is. Now keep in mind, about... I was doing the math. Maybe a couple months has passed. Back up two months. And the same people that are in the temple were either doing this. They were crying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, the preacher that day may well have been one of the members of Sanhedrin that would have planned the execution of Jesus Christ. We often think how difficult it is, the church experience. How, how we don't agree with everyone and how this happens and that happens. But can you imagine going to the temple, knowing, by the way, that you're on outs with the most of the people in the temple, knowing that they had planned and encouraged the execution of the one that you call Jesus and Lord, and yet they went. And what's really great is, is they went not just to go. They didn't just get up on, on Saturday morning and go, it's time to go to the temple to worship. They didn't go just because it was a thing to do. In fact, it probably wasn't a Saturday because they went to the temple every single day as part of the Jewish routine. They went with a purpose. See, for them, the church was a mission field. It's really cool. One, they regularly went to worship. God was just so big in their lives and so big in their picture because of the crucifixion, because of the resurrection, because of Acts chapter 2 and, and the birth of the church and the, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God was just so big, it was natural that they just do God stuff every single day. And while we weren't there for Acts chapter 2 and, and the resurrection and crucifixion was 2,100 years ago, God should be that big in our lives. That we do God stuff. We don't need to go to church every day. But we need to do God stuff every single day. Secondly this. They were willing to reach out and not stay in. Now, now what have been, you know, Queenie, what would have been normal? What would have been normal for them to do? Get their, get their core group together somewhere in a private room and do church. They were willing to reach out to the ones who did not yet know Jesus. In their case, it meant going to church. 
In their case, it meant going back into the, the hotbed of anti-Jesusism. The, the ones who believed he did not resurrect. The ones who, who were determined to keep that quiet. The ones who, who thought he was a blasphemer because he believed to be the Son of God. He, they were willing to reach out. And you know what? So are we. We are not to be an inward, inward turning group. We're not to be a group that exists for ourselves. We're to be a, a group that exists for others. They were willing to reach out. And they were willing to look around. See, this ain't Peter. Peter the preacher. Not Peter, I don't know you, Jesus. Peter after, after Pentecost, meaning filled the Holy Spirit. The guy stands up and preaches and 3,000 men get saved. Shoot that thing. Start a mega church. Build a sanctuary. Three services on Sunday morning. But we don't see that. You're fixing to see how Peter and John saw the power of one. It was cool. Pentecost was great. But they weren't so wrapped up in numbers, they didn't fail to see the one. You know, Jesus told a story about that in Luke chapter 15. He, he told a parable about, you know, if you're a shepherd and you've got a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, you know, you know what you do, don't you? Because everyone's so valuable. You leave the 99 in the pen and, and you go out and you look for that one. You look and look and look and look until you find that one. Then you put that dude on your shoulders when you find him and you haul him back down. You call your friends and say, let's celebrate because I found the one that was lost. And Jesus said this. Jesus said the angels applaud. They celebrate. They worship. When one sinner comes into the kingdom. Yeah, sure, God's excited when thousands come, but he's also about that one individual. And, and Peter and John saw this. They, they were faithful because God was just a huge chunk of their lives. They were willing to go back into a difficult situation because they had some friends there. They had some strangers there. They had some leadership there who desperately needed to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. But on the way... They noticed this one guy. Now, now look what it says about the one guy. Verse 2. A man who was lame from birth. Now, we learn later on in the story. Again, we're going to do the whole story over the next four or five weeks. But we learn from the story that this guy was 40 some odd years old. Early 40s. So that means for 40 years, he's been lame. The Greek tells us, uh, the Greek infers and tells that the weakness was in his ankles and his feet bones. They were out of socket. It was impossible for him to walk. And so when he became of age for 40 of those 40 years, probably for the last 25 years, when he was about 15 years old, they began taking him places to where he could beg. And that was the way he made his living. That was the way he had food to eat. It's a very honorable thing because he was handicapped. He was hand, you know, physically challenged. So, so we had a man who was, who was lame from birth. And guess what? He went to church too. He was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. So we have James, we have John and Peter going, and they're going because it's a mission field. They're going because God's such a big part of their lives. This guy goes too. But he can't go in the temple because he's damaged goods. See, according to the law, a person with an infirmity like that could only go as far as the gate. He was not permitted inside. He was excluded from temple life. But every day, his friends carried him, set him down, and he called 
prompts. So, so you see, we have a divine appointment. You know, what if, what if Peter and John had said, not today, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Let's get the three o'clock. The party starts at four. Let's get the three o'clock prayer time. See, they were able to see something bigger. They were able to see what was going to be a collision of two worlds. And those that can see those divine appointments are the ones that God chooses to use in great ways. Can we go back and hear from Elizabeth Barrett Browning again this week? Can we hear where she says, Earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees pauses and takes off his shoes. The rest sit around it and pluck blackberries. Only one who sees the burning bush takes off his shoes because they're on holy ground. They understand that God is at work in the most common of circumstances. The rest of us run through life and eat blackberries. My brothers and sisters, God is at work in this world. But God wants to work more. But in order for God to work more, we have got to be willing to stop and pause and see these divine appointments. See the burning bushes of our lives. Take our shoes off, understanding that we're on God's mission. We're on holy ground. I just wonder if I could get it in your head when you saw the video. How many of you said in your mind, no way, can't, never done it, won't do it? How many said, well, maybe I could? Some said, well, I could do this and some do that. And I honestly believe, Jesus, I watched this. This was a divine appointment for us. It's another turning point with our church to reach out in a brand new way and touch this world. And you'll hear this phrase in a few moments. In the name of Jesus Christ. But you've got to be willing to take your shoes off or you'll miss it. There are so many stories People on the job, people at school, people at work, us pastors all have stories about how, how it just happened. Right in that corner a couple of weeks ago, I was out here visiting on the, for the, with the parents for All Star. And I met a guy named Isaac. And we began to share. He really just candidly opened up and shared his life. And we had prayer together. And then out of his mouth came these words. We had a divine appointment. Who would have known on a, on a Tuesday night in a gym with a bunch of parents sitting around watching their kids practice, bored out of their brain, that God had a divine appointment? And I challenge you as your pastor, no matter if you're, you count yourself as old like Brent, or young and frisky, there are divine appointments all around us. So Peter and John are walking into the temple. The man standing there as he are sitting there as he has for all these years. He's sitting there and he sees Peter and John coming. They say that beggars have the ability to look at a person and see whether they're likely candidates to give or not. You know, have you ever noticed something? You do it. If there's someone on the sidewalk holding out a cup, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to lock eyes and give. Are you going to divert your eyes and not give? That's what we do. And beggars watch for the ones that are willing to make eye contact. So, so we see this situation. And in verse number three, the Bible says, When Peter and John was about to enter the temple complex, he asked 
for help. So, so out of his mouth, and, and, and again, the word, the Greek word for asked is a, re, a, a repetitious, well-rehearsed phrase. I'm sure he had his pitch. Could have been alms for the poor. It could have been a very brief synopsis. I've been doing this all my life. My life is really bad. But he asked for help. See, his world was a hopeless world. Things, listen, listen, things were not going to get better. Some of you have, in your world, you have a picture of, of things, and you can see down the road in three months or eight months or ten months, something's going to get better. But not so with this man. And you know what? Spiritually, his world is our world. See, he was not only physically in a hopeless world, he was spiritually in a hopeless world. In church, we are surrounded by people who live in a spiritually hopeless world. And they all don't live in Africa. They live next door to you. And next door to you. And they are beggars outside the kingdom of God. And their world, the best they can hope for, is a little bit of help. We see this so often in our benevolence ministry. People come in and they say, can you help here and can you help there? And we know this. Beggars think they have one need and there's really usually a greater need. And when people come asking for help in our world today, there's usually a greater need. And that need is Jesus Christ. The greatest need is a relationship with holy God. So this man... Ask for help. And maybe you're here today. And you've never heard yourself referred to as a spiritual beggar. But maybe you're here today. Maybe something drew you to the church today. And you really don't know what it was. But you're here today. And you're going, you know what? He's talking about me. I, I don't know this Jesus of the cross. I didn't know the songs today. I don't know the lingo. I don't know what save. Save from what means. But I know there's something I need. And I want to tell you something. I don't need to drop the coin of religion in your cup. I don't need to drop the coin of self-control in your cup. I don't need to drop the coin of breaking a bad habit in your cup. You have a greater need in that because the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That there is none righteous. No, not one. All of us have sinned against God. So, so going to church or, or quitting a habit or starting a habit, that's not what you need. You don't need a dose of religion, friend. You don't need a dose of church. You really need a relationship with Jesus Christ. So this guy, and this guy didn't know that. He thought if he could get enough alms to buy bread for the evening meal, it was a good day. He didn't know he needed something greater. All he knew was the temple, which he could not go into because he's an outcast. The temple was a great place for people to give because people who went to Tom uh, alms, people who went to the temple and gave alms, um, people who, who were of Jewish faith, they believed that giving money to the poor was a virtuous thing. All he knew was it was a good place to get the next meal. That's all he knew. He would have never dreamed there's something greater. And you're here today and you are, you are damaged by your past. There's some junk in your past. And, and, and you'd say this. If these people knew about my past, they would not let me in this building. 
There are people that would say, you know, if the people knew what I've done, they wouldn't want me here. And to you, God is so far out of reach, it's hopeless. But it's not. It's not. It's not. Listen to the story. Listen to the story. Verse 4. Peter, along with John, looked at him intently. Now, this is good. May I reiterate one more time? The men had dealt with thousands. But they paused for the one. See, we, we understand as we do benevolence ministry, whether it be back to school or whatever it is, we understand we can't change everybody's life. We can't change everybody's circumstances. But the fact that we can't do it for everybody should not stop us from doing it for the one. So they saw this one sheep here. He saw them and, and, they, and they looked at him intently. And the Bible says, he said, look at us. Now, what do you think he said that for? All right. Have you ever... Have you ever been in a conversation before and you're speaking and you can tell the other person is just waiting for their opportunity to talk? Now, now, wives, you've probably never experienced that because men are never wanting to talk. But, but, in certain, but in certain situations, okay, in certain situations, you're talking and you just tell the person, he's drooling, wants to talk. Well, the beggar... Now, what he's in business. This is the way he makes his money. He can't spend too much time on one potential giver. So, so he says, he gives the spill, alms for the poor, whatever it was, and instantly begins to look at the next potential giver. Not dreaming that there's something bigger coming his way. Peter and John said, I don't want you to miss what God's got for you. And friend, if you're here today without Christ, we don't want you to miss it. I said, let me say it again. I, the last thing we want is to get you religious. The most thing we want, the greatest thing we want is for you to know Christ. So, he says, look at us. And it's a forceful statement. So he turned to them expecting to get something. He never dreamed what was coming. Then we go to verse number six. This is big for us. So Peter said, I don't have silver or gold. Now, that was probably deflating. And remember, in his mentality, the greatest need he has was tonight's bread. And the key to tonight's bread was silver or gold from someone. And, and Peter said, I don't have silver or gold. Let me pause there. So many of us who are Christ followers, we are believers in Jesus Christ. Because we can't do a certain thing, we think we can do nothing. And out of our mouth comes words like, like for instance, the child in the home. I could never take a child in my home. And instantly you think, I can't participate in a family. I don't. I don't want a child in my home. So instantly think, we're outside that parameter. I can't give $100 to Annie. I can't give $100 to Lottie. So instantly we think we're outside the realm of help. But look what Peter says. He goes beyond, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give you. Brothers and sisters, all of us have something to give. If referring, to self, referring to safe families. Okay, you can't keep a child. But can you pray for the families willing to go through the training? That they may keep a child? 
Are you willing to help buy diapers for a baby? Because there is no money for this. If you keep a child, it's you. But could you give money then to buy diapers or formula or food for a family who's willing to keep a child? I, I've already, we've, I, I mentioned, I thought. You know, I'm a big fan of this empty nest syndrome thing. You people who are like, oh, I'm an empty nest syndrome. Celebrate. Come on, celebrate. So I, I thought about it. I said, matter of fact, I said, Judy, how long will we have this child? You know, if, if it's a slumber party for two nights, that's the one thing. But I thought about it. I said, we could do this. I think, I think we could do this. I, 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 I'm being as candy as I can. Well, what about if we had a vacation plan? Jesus said, well, there's an out for that. You know, there's, there's other arrangements. But here's the deal. When he said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give, all God asks is that we give what we have. See, you know, we, I, I told, I, me and Donnie's had so many conversations about outreach. You know, and, and again, I, I did this Wednesday night. Now, don't be shocked, okay? But I did this on Wednesday night. You know, this is not an effective uh, evangelism t- you know, tool. You, you don't knock on the door, and the door opens up and says, you're going to hell. It just doesn't work. You know, again, I tell you, Brent Holloway and my wife, by the way, can both talk to trees and have a very good conversation. They're, they're, they're talking machines. And I know Brent is not in any way afraid to talk about Jesus Christ. I know this. But not all of us have that gift. But you can do something. You can give a track. You, you, can, you can tell someone your personal testimony. You, you, can, you can tell what God did in your life. When your marriage is in trouble, this is what God did for me. You know, you know that verse that everybody likes? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. We quote it like crazy. Do we believe it? Because seeing the flesh, again, I think it's no coincidence that that's why I'm referencing this. It was in the program. It's no coincidence, I think, that say families came up today. Because see, if you really believe Philippians 4.13, and God wanted you to, and God wanted you to, and God wanted you to, you could keep a child. If you truly believe Philippians 4.13 and you say, I want to, you know, I really believe, I really believe God wants me to give an X amount of dollars to missions. If you believe it, you can. Now notice, I, notice the caveat I gave there. If God wants you to. I don't want you to walk out. God, God wants me to step out in front of this car. Splat. Ooh, that didn't work out good. Does God want you to? And Peter said, I don't have your temporary fix. But what I do have, I'll give you. And then he says these words. And we have totally lost the power of these words. Here's what he says. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. We've lost that. Now, see, you know, for instance, if you said, what's your name? My name is Dwayne. It may or in our culture, it really doesn't attach much. But in, in, the, in, the, in the ancient culture of New Testament times, 2,100 years ago, and by the way, Old Testament also, 
The name was attached to the character of the person. The name was attached to who the person was. And when he said, in the name of Jesus, God with us, Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, stand up and walk. He was calling upon the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. It wasn't Peter. Peter could not make the man walk. But when he called on the authority and the power of Jesus Christ, it's a game changer. And church, we've lost that. We've lost that. There is power in the name of Jesus Christ. He is a life changer and he is a game changer. But what we have a tendency to do is we substitute church Religious terms. Our own abilities. It's not that. It's Christ. It's Christ. That's why All-Star is possible. You know? I know some guys that work All-Star. And they're here like 12, 14 hours on Saturday. And one of them is the nicest guys I know. But it's not him. It's Christ working through him. Christ working through him. These crazy people that teach Wednesday nights. We have our little Bible study, you know, downstairs in our sanctuary or the fellowship hall. We have our little Bible study. And upstairs, there's celebration, but there's awful warfare going on. And lives are being changed. Lives are being changed. How do they do that? How How do the same people teach on Wednesday night year after year after year after year after year? You know, they say, if you ever say yes to the nominating committee, it's a life sentence. Sorry, nominating committee. Doggone it. But that's not why they do that. I believe they do it through the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And Peter says, man, I've got, listen, I don't have the temper... I don't want you to have, and nor do I have, the temporary fix you're looking for. But I've got something better. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, get up and walk. And then verse 7, and then verse 7. Then, taking him by the right hand, and here's the song, he raised him up. He took it. Peter, and and you know, the, the Greek is not clear. It's not like the man was going... Does he know I'm crippled? Like, does he know I can't walk? You want to see these ankles that the foot's turned around backwards? Do you want to see the joints, literally in the Greek, the joints that are disjointed? It's not clear. Or if Peter reached down and said, okay, buddy, get him walk, and grabbed him and helped him up. I lean toward number two. I don't think the man had a lack of faith. I'll show you why in just a minute. But Peter reached down and grabbed him. And as he stood up, as he raised him up, at once his feet and ankles became strong. What a miracle. Now, some of you say, God doesn't do miracles anymore. You haven't been to Africa. And you probably haven't been to the hospital here in Illinois too much. Because the God I know still does miracles. Now, now I, need to, I know I need to caveat this. Because I want you to misunderstand You know, there are three major healings in the book of Acts. Healing is not a major theme of the book of Acts. But I don't think we could, I think we'd be wrong to say that the miracle stopped in Acts. I don't think that's true. I think it's this. 
that our wonderful holy God, who is totally sovereign and in control, chooses miracles when he chooses you. It's a tool. The miracles, listen, the miracles are not so much for the person as much as it is to bring glory to the name of the Most High God. That's what miracles are about. That's what miracles are about. So miracles haven't stopped. I could, I could pause right now, and I, I don't have time pause right now, and someone would stand and say, let me tell you, I, I think I know about a guy named Billy Wynn that was burned and damaged in a helicopter where all the other people died. But not as he is alive today, he's alive and functioning. And we're still praying, by the way, he doesn't know Jesus yet. But God did the miracle and left him here for a reason. And we're praying that reason is to meet Jesus Christ. As Lord and Savior. And right, Jim? God still does miracles. God's still in the miracle business. And I want to tell you something. If you are here today and you found yourself outside the realm of God, and you're, you're the one who said, Dwayne, if you knew you were not in the building, and Dwayne, if you knew you wouldn't want me here. I'm trying to tell you there's a God who can write you a brand new past, a brand new future, and a great present through the power of His Son, Jesus Christ. God's never, never been stumped with someone's past. His grace, His grace is sufficient. I met Friday before a group of people that, that had lost a 41-year-old daddy and friend and husband in an accident. And it was a hard group. But I explain grace like this. Grace is what it is when you're driving 70 and a 55 and Hobie pulls you over. And Hobie looks at your license and your registration, your insurance card, and just simply says this. I'm going to choose not to write you a ticket. Slow down and have a nice day. That's grace. You didn't deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn it. It's just grace. In the realm of sin, God has pulled every one of us over because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's blue lights and red lights have been in our rearview mirror. He's pulled us over and the charge is sin. But God has said, by my grace, if you'll believe in my son Jesus Christ and what he did on a Roman cross and how he defeated sin and the death over the third day, if you'll accept that forgiveness and that grace, I'll forgive you. Have a nice day. That's the power. Of grace. You don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. You have to be worthy. You can't be worthy. But you can be forgiven. How powerful. So, so the story continues in verse number 8. So he jumped up. Now you've got to get the emotion of this. So he jumped up, stood, and started to walk. And he went... Where he couldn't go before. Because before he was broken. And now he's healed. Spiritually and physically. He enters the temple complex with it. Now you, can you get this? How many times sitting outside the beautiful gate. Did he look and go on. I wish I could go. I wish I could know. I wish I could go. And that day he stands up and he starts walking and he walks right into the temple complex. A place where he was banned from because of his imperfection. And the Bible goes on and says this. He was 
it's like, it's like Dr. Luke who wrote Acts. You know, he's walking, he's leaping, and he's praising. That would make, if you're a preacher, that's three I-N-G words. Walking and leaping and praising. The Greek word for leaping there is the same word. Well, let me, let me read it to you. Over in Isaiah 40, 35, 4 through 6. It says this. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame. This is looking forward to a time when Christ rules. Then the lame will leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Have you ever watched them, them nature programs? And you got that little tiny fawn deer. And they, they kind of go. You ever seen that before? It's, it's precious. This man, according, again, with the book of Isaiah, the same Greek word from the Hebrew, he's leaping about, full of joy, full of wonder of what God has done. Well, Dwayne, I want you to get this. How do we know? I mean, we know he was healed physically because he's up walking around. I get that. How do we know that something spiritual happened in his life? Because Peter testified. In verse number 16, here's what it says. Acts 3, 16. By, oh, what is he? By faith in his name. Whose name? Jesus. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through him has given him, big H, little H, this perfect health in front of you all. Somehow, some way, and by the way, that's, that's, if you, if you really want to know about your testimony, it's somehow, some way. When that man, when Peter reached down and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk, he took him by the hand, and his ankles were made strong, and his feet was made strong, his soul was made clean, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. How miraculous. And it all happened, Because the guys were going where they should have been going. They continued to reach out and not huddle in the church and say, us four no more. And they were willing to see the one that needed help. See, it's cool that God's blessed us with growth and we have all these people who come to worship. But we must never lose sight of the one. The one who needs Jesus. We're glad every one of you are here. But don't lose sight of the one. Don't lose sight of the one out of the ninety-nine. Don't lose sight of the one coin of ten that they rejoiced in and was found. Don't lose sight of the one. He was healed physically and he was healed spiritually. And guys, he got more than he ever dreamed. Let me tell you something. I'm going to make a statement. I'll give you a money-back guarantee. If you're here without Jesus Christ and you truly experience God's grace and His forgiveness, you'll get more than you could ever dream. Oh, Dwayne, do I get a perfect life? Hello, read your Bible once you're a believer. Pick it up. This health and wealth gospel is not from the Bible. It's from Sears and Roebuck catalog, I guess. I'm not talking about health and wealth. I'm not talking about always getting your promotion. I'm not talking about you never go see the dentist. I'm talking about a peace that passes understanding. I'm talking about a God who loves you enough and you stay in that love that he sent his son Jesus to die. I'm talking about a friend named Jesus who stays closer, the Bible says in the Old Testament, than a brother. 
I'm, I'm talking about a relationship with God that you can't mess up. Let me, let me say it one more time. I'm talking about a relationship with God that you can't mess up. Because it's held by grace and not your performance. God, God, God will never stop loving you. That's what I'm talking Now that's, that's a pretty good deal. And that's what you get with Jesus. Well, how's that happen, Dwayne? Well, you know, we, we kind of shy away from that prayer thing, but it's still not a bad idea. But, but you've got to understand this. You've got to understand, I, I've sinned. And again, you're, if you're here today, you're a sinner, okay? There was one perfect guy, and you know what happened to him. So we all have to acknowledge we're sinners. We've got to be willing to repent or, or turn away from that sin and believe that Jesus is God's Son, that He died, He resurrected. And then we choose to follow him. It's a choice. Doesn't make us perfect. Anybody here perfect after, after, after Jesus? No. No. But we remain forgiven. And we have the awesome privilege of being part of the kingdom of God. And looking for the one and looking for the masses. Taking a child without a home. Mama's locked up. Daddy's gone. And bring that broken hurting, damaged child into a home of healing and love, hope, and help. That's what we get to do. We, we get to go to Africa and Nicaragua and Haiti. We get to go down to the park. We get to stay right here and bring a thousand people every Saturday. A thousand people fill this building. We get to be a part of the biggest plan you'll ever see. The plan of God and redemption. Now check this out. And we're done. And the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex. And they were all filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. This is so cool. I've said this before. If God has a to-do list, you know, husbands, you got to-do list. George, one, take out the trash. Number two, mow the yard. Number three, rake the leaves. Number four, take me out to dinner and talk to me. Y'all, y'all got to-do list? God's got a to-do list. It's very short. Number one, bring glory to his name. Bring glory to his name. Magnify his name. Two, through His Son, Jesus Christ, redeem broken man. That's it. And then broken man gives glory to God. In this case, the, 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 what happened was the man was jumping around, praising God, going to the temple, and all the people were going, wow. And we're going to see, because they didn't know all went on, the first thing they wanted to do is go, look what those guys did. And we'll talk about that next week. It's not what we do. It's not what we do. It's what He does through us. We just get to be a part. Be a part. So here's the bottom line. You know, if you're here today, and you may come to church every week. Again, I was saved when I was 21 years old. I met Jesus when I was 21. I've been in church all my life. Sang in the quartets, did everything you can imagine. I was very religious and very lost. So maybe you're here, or maybe this is your first time. I just want to tell you, yeah, you're a sinner, 
But if you will ask Jesus Christ to forgive you, He will. If you're willing to turn from that sin and experience God's grace. You don't have, you don't have to sign up for a 10-step program. You don't have to stand up, I'm going to be better. I'm going to quit this or start that. You leave all that to God in the future. He simply says, believe my son, turn from your sin, follow him. Experience my grace. If you're here today and you've never done that, i got a friend named Brent here, the guy with the long shirt, who's pretending that's a Bears jersey, but it's really not. Come down here. I, I told somebody Saturday, I told someone Saturday, I said, we are just meat and potatoes here. We're not the fanciest church in town. Don't care we're not. So if you, I don't care if you got jeans on. I don't care what you got on. Just come down and say, Brent, I want to know how that can be reality in my life. Is there really a God who forgive all that I've done? Is there really a God who, who's no matter how bad my past is, he can forgive me? And we'll tell you all about that today if you'll come. Now, for a large chunk of us, we're Jesus followers. We've already reached that point. And we are Peter and John. And our bottom line is this. Are we willing to make God such a big part of our lives that no matter where we go, He's part of our lives? Oh, where's God here? God there? He's, he's God 800 feet underground. He's God in my classroom at Westside. Um, he's God down at the bank. He's God when I'm driving the car. He's God. Are we willing then to step out and go where those who are lost are. In other words, wherever we are, we look and see the one. We see the one. And are we willing to do whatever God asks us to do? Remember this. God won't ask you what you can't do without Him. God won't ask you to do what you can do without Him. One last thought. It's free. That's why we get in trouble. We try to do things without God, <laughs> and we don't do so well. Ask these boys who preach, Lord, help the man who preaches without God. It's a pretty bad speech. <laughs> but with you and God, you can do amazing things. Are you willing? Are you willing? Let's pray together. Oh, God, thank you so much for this privilege today. Thank you for safe families and setting that up. Thank you for the song, Father, that that really just paints a beautiful picture of how you want to raise us up and how we can be strong in you. Father, I pray for my friends here today that might be here who have never met Jesus Christ. And they came maybe asking for some kind of help, maybe physical or maybe religion. I don't know. But God, may they have heard the truth today that you want to give them so much more than that. You want to give them eternal life and forgiveness and hope through your amazing grace. Pray for that, God. Father, for my brothers and sisters and for me, Father, give us the heart of Peter and John. Help us to do routinely you in our lives. Help us, Father, never be concerned with size that one person is as important as 300 people. God, because you came to seek and save that which was lost. And God, this is the hard part. Help us to be willing to step outside our comfort zone. Help us to step outside our comfort zone and go and be and do what may be uncomfortable to us, believing that through Christ we can do all things. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.